This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Acts. Once again, I'm rejoicing in how God has met with us today, how He continues to lead in spite of our own weakness. Thinking about the Lord's faithfulness tonight and then our need to serve our faithful God. And I'm so encouraged how this morning's message and then tonight's message, how God has intended to build on the theme that we looked at this morning. Our study in the book of Acts finds us in chapter 4. What an exciting book. But it's a book of narrative. In other words, it's given to us in narrative form. The Holy Spirit gave it to us as a story, one story after another. And we've tried to present it in that format and where uh, the Lord uh, naturally puts in an outline. We're able to do that. Uh, But it's important that we look at the Scripture the way the Holy Spirit gave it to us. And in this book, we have stories. Much of the Bible is in story form. I love stories. great thing about the Bible is the stories are true. And they're from God. He is the best storyteller. But he tells us the story of the early church and what God did there. And so in the narrative, we come to the place where we see the miraculous healing of a lame man near one of the staircases that lead up to the Temple Mount. He gets healed and he goes up to the temple and he's jumping around with those new legs. He's shouting, giving praise to God. A crowd gathers. And the result is an opportunity for Peter to once again preach to thousands. And we know that thousands, again, respond Many, many are saved. But this is where the persecution in the book of Acts begins. The religious officials, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they take Peter, John, and the healed man into custody. Chapter 4, verse 18 tells us that they threatened them not to speak to anyone else in Jesus' name. Then they're released. Peter and John return to the other believers where a spontaneous praise and prayer meeting takes place. I emphasize the word spontaneous. Everything that happens in a local assembly of believers ought to respond in praise and prayer. Let's get in the habit of just doing that. Something happens, we need to talk to the Lord. Sometimes tragedies happen. Time to go to the Lord. Sometimes great victories happen. Time to go to the Lord. I want us to consider that the prayer meeting is instructive to us because we were able to listen in on how a spirit-filled church prays when they are in the heat of battle. Go back, listen to that message. It's 
very instructive from the scripture. To show us that God was pleased with what he was hearing, God shakes the place where they were assembled. Don't miss the truth in the book of Acts that God's presence is most evident when his church is joined together in prayer. And twice now we've seen God shakes the place. He wants, they don't have to worry about things crumbling down on top of them. That's not going to happen. But he shakes the place to let them know, I am pleased and I am listening. Here's my power and I'm going to work powerfully on your behalf. Now beginning in chapter 4 verse 32, the Holy Spirit has Luke pause the narrative. So really the story continues, but, but there's, there's a pause here. So the reader can evaluate the spiritual condition of this church. What does the Holy Spirit point to about this assembly that shows us that they pleased the Lord and that they had his power? Might sound familiar from this morning. You know what the evidence is? It's unity. It's unity. And that's going to be the focus now in these verses that follow. The message tonight of entitled Unity, the proof of a spirit-controlled church. All of us have had opportunities to be in other churches, weddings, funerals. I had the opportunity to be in a, a local church near here yesterday. And I don't know if you do this, but I go into other assemblies and I wonder, is the gospel being proclaimed here? Are, are these folks unified? Uh, are they standing for truth? Those are all questions that, that cross my mind. But one of the quick answers to, is this a uh, spirit-filled group of believers? Unified. And they believe the gospel, good chance that it's a spirit-filled assembly, spirit-controlled church. Now, when the Holy Spirit wanted to point to one proof that an early church was completely controlled by him, he pointed to their unity. In contrast, and we looked, we preached through, we studied together all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Was there unity there, yes or no? All right, was there unity there, yes or no? I know you know your Bible. No, no. Were they spirit-filled? No, no. You see how they go together. Now notice chapter 4, verse 32, and here's where, where we're going to pick up the text. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. So again, the story pauses, and God lets us see into the hearts of these Christians. Now, how was this unity evidenced? Watch, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. They wouldn't even declare, that's mine. Now, if we walked out in the parking lot, whose car? Okay. Uh, who's, who's this? Who, who's that? Their mindset was God's belongs to the Lord, but they had all things common. 
Now, what were the evidences of their unity? What were the evidences of this unity? Well, first, look at verse 32. The evidences of the church's unity in Jerusalem was great generosity. Here we see loving fellowship. Again, we talked about that this morning, right? Cooperation to meet needs. Just like we saw in Romans 12. Now, lest anyone think this gives any credence to communism. All right? Acts 5.4 sets the record straight, doesn't it? Go to chapter 5. Just look at verse 4. This is Peter talking to Ananias. We're going to get to this text, but he says to him, While it, what you possess, the, the uh, land you possessed, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine power? Again, to do with it what you wanted. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Peter is not saying, you were required to give. He's saying, it was in your power to decide to give or not. So this has nothing to do with communism. The early church was never required to share their goods. Spearfield Christianity says, what's mine is God's and yours, if you have a need. Communism says, what's yours is mine. Communism relies on force and it takes True Christianity relies on grace, and it willingly gives. So we need to clear that up. This, there was no communism taking place here. The evidence, the first evidence of the church's unity, great generosity. Second, here, verse 33, there was great power. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now let me be a little technical, but it, it is necessary to help us understand what the text is saying. The verb gave here is in the imperfect tense, meaning that what great power, uh, that with great power the apostles continued to give the gospel. And great grace was upon them all. All right, don't miss what the Holy Spirit is doing in the text. The unity was not primarily for members of Christ's body to have their physical needs met. Why? Well, I, I go to Good News. I love that church. They're generous. If I need anything, they'll give it to me. Well, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, but that's not primarily why we're here. No, what the text is showing us is this. God saw the spirit-filled care within the church, and he blessed her with gospel power as she did her work outside the body. Do you see that? They're meeting needs within the body in obedience to the Lord. Okay. Uh, selfless love gives. So they're meeting needs within the body, but God blessed that body by giving them power for their work outside of the body. 
our care for each other is to bring glory to God. But you know, God sees that and God will bless that with greater power and effectiveness reaching our community for Christ. And practically, think about this, it's easier for believers to carry out the Great Commission when their basic needs are met and they're not hungry. Every year when we get to missions conference and that faith promise time, we give the basis for grace giving, faith promise giving. And, and we, we go to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and we see it there. Remember Paul was working with churches in Asia Minor and the church at Corinth and they were putting together a large offering to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. Why were they doing that? Well, they were needing. They were needy. They were suffering great persecution. But they were struggling with their basic necessity. And I believe God laid that offering on the heart of the Apostle Paul because if we can help with their basic needs, it'll help them be a greater testimony still in Jerusalem. That's the point. Clearly, God intends for those in the family of God to respond to the needs of others in the family of God so that the work of God can continue. As I've been praying for the brethren in Ukraine, all oh, the great needs they have, and I have different missionaries that I'm reading. This church has helped the believers over there but why is it so important that, that we help? Well, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? That's important. But as we meet their needs, we help them to be able to minister to their neighbors who are fearful and dying and who need the gospel. One of the reasons that as you read Paul's epistles, he asks for help. I have needs. Help me with my needs. Uh, why was he doing that? Because I'm uncomfortable and it's cold. No, no, no. As, as you help me with my needs, I can continue to be a testimony for Christ wherever I'm at. And so these are the two evidences in this chapter, the evidences of unity in the church that was the result of, of believers being spirit-filled. Once again, I rejoice. I think about our church family here. I want to encourage you. I, I see these things. We are seeing God's power. Are we seeing enough of God's power? I, I, we need more of God's power, folks. We need more of God's power. But one of the reasons I think we're seeing God's power, His blessing, people being reached for Christ, is... When God controls the heart, he helps us have an open hand. And that's happening here. Praise the Lord. The two evidences of unity. Now as the text goes on, the text also shows us the extent of the church's unity. When the Holy Spirit controls a believer's heart, again, he opens his or her hands. A yielded believer looks at giving as a blessing, not a burden. Verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. 
verse 35, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto, look at this, every man according as he had need. Now, not just men, men and women. You get to Acts chapter 6, and, and the widows there are being cared for. Okay. But what does this passage tell us about what was happening? Well, again, you have to know the language and what is happening here. Let me, let me help. New Testament scholars point out that the tenses of the verbs, all the verbs in verse 34 are imperfect. What does that mean? This means that they sold houses and lands from time to time as needs arose in the Jerusalem church. It's not that everyone just decided, okay, I have my house and I have land, I'm going to sell it all. There, there, there was just uh, all of this real estate being sold. That's not what was happening. From time to time, as needs came to light in that early church, and there were a lot of people, a lot of needs, those who had homes, maybe an extra home, uh, those who had land would hear the need and prayerfully consider, what can I do to meet the need? And, and they were giving generously. They, they were selling their fields to help meet the need. And then they were coming and placing the proceeds at the apostles' feet, not for show, okay? Again, as large as the Jerusalem church was, the gifts were being collected, were being delivered before the apostles, and they initially then had the oversight of distributing or distributing those things uh, to those in the church. So you can imagine <laughs> these apostles are, uh, this, is, this is just ministry going on. Uh, and the door opens, and in, in comes some believers, and, and they're, they're carrying money. They're, uh, who, who knows what else they, they may have to help with needs. And they're coming, and they're just setting it down in front of the apostles. And then somebody else comes in, and, and the apostles are not going, No, it wasn't that. God bless you, thank you. They're putting it, you know, and, and they're coming, and it's going right back out. It's helping to meet needs. Now here's the extent to which the church showed its unity. Verse 35, everyone was taken care of according to their need. At this point, as you study the record of Acts, thousands now are part of this church and everyone's need is being met. What a job. And yet what's exciting from the text is to realize God had already equipped those in the church to be able to sell things that they had, to be able to give and to meet others' needs. God had already taken care of them. There is nothing here that says that you're spiritual if you sell all that you have and take a vow of poverty. Not here. The text is simply showing that each poor believer in the church had his or her needs met. What a blessing. That's the extent. Do you remember the lame man, the beggar that God healed through the ministry of Peter? I, I personally just have wondered, I wonder if he was helped by this distribution. 
He's probably still trying to trying to bounce back financially. He he begged for many years. He had nothing. Now he's a believer. I think they probably met his need. What a testimony to the extent of the church's unity. What a challenge this is for Good News Baptist Church. To be very practical, when you hear of a need of a brother or sister in Christ in this assembly, guess what? God wanted you to hear about that. And he wants you to do something about it. Now, that doesn't mean that you alone are able to do something about it, but at least you ought to pause and pray. Lord, can I meet this need? Well, it's what the church does. Well, but who are you? You're the church. All right. But if you can't, don't assume that somebody's already told the pastor. Can I, can I just share this with you? Sometimes... I'm way down the list of who finds out. Let me know. Let your deacon know. Hey, are, are you aware? No, I'm not aware. Thank you. And then we can begin to mobilize, believing that probably God has already met the need by giving it to us so that we can pass it on to a brother or sister in Christ. And what's the glorious result of that? When God sees that kind of fellowship, that kind of cooperation, God empowers that kind of a ministry so that we can be more effective helping win people to Christ. Now this text of scripture has shown us the evidences of the church's unity, the extent to which a unified church goes to meet each other's needs. Everybody needs to be taken care of. But verses 36 to 37 introduces us to a man who modeled the church's unity. Oh, I, I love the way this section ends. The man who modeled the church's unity. Anybody ever heard of Barnabas? All right, here he is. Barnabas becomes the example of the church's unity. Verse 36 and Joses, that's Joseph, that was his name, his name was Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed, they gave him a nickname, Barnabas, which is, by interpretation, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. He didn't even live in Palestine. He was from that island, that Greek island. Verse 37, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, let's take a look at this example of Christian unity. Before we're told what Joseph, Barnabas, did, we learn the apostles had already nicknamed him. I think that's fun. Oh, oh, Joseph, you mean Barnabas. Kind of like Cephas, oh, you mean Peter. All right. Did you know that Barnabas, which means son of consolation, did you know that the Greek word for consolation is the same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit? It's the Greek word paraclete. It means to come alongside. 
Jesus promised that when he went back to heaven, he would send his spirit, who would be our comforter. He'd come alongside to comfort, to guide, to lead us into truth, to be everything that we need as we journey here uh, for our Lord. Did you know that the apostles gave Barnabas that same designation? Paraclete, comforter. Son of Consolation. Now, obviously, they were not attributing divinity to Barnabas. Don't, don't think that. But as they watched his life, when there was somebody that had a need, needed to be encouraged, there was Barnabas. Right alongside, finding out what their needs are, encouraging them. Hey, go on for God. Continue to serve the Lord. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. That was Barnabas. The apostles knew him to be a paraclete, someone who came alongside to help and to encourage. We could say it this way. Barnabas was a unifier. And this was demonstrated early on by his generous spirit to those in need. He sold his field. He gave it all to the needs of those in the church. That sacrifice, that's not a tithe. That's not three tithes. That's everything. He gave it all. Barnabas would be mentioned at least 25 times in the book of Acts. He's mentioned another five times in the epistles. What do we know about Barnabas? After this, well, he was the one, when this fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus gets saved up in Damascus, everybody's scared to death. Is, is this a ploy? Is, are we being set up? Somebody's going to reach out to him and, and we're all going to pay the price for that. Who was it that went and got Saul of Tarsus and brought him to the believers in Jerusalem and said, hey, meet Brother Paul. It was Barnabas. It was Barnabas. And when the church chose his first missions team, who was it? It was Paul and Barnabas. But I like to think about the fact it was Paul because of Barnabas and then Barnabas. And then on that journey, they took a young man by the name of John Mark. And you'll remember that during that journey, John Mark says, this is dangerous, this is hard, I need to go home. Uh, it didn't make Paul so happy. And the next time they get ready to go out, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul's like, no, we're not. No, we're not. And their disagreement became so sharp, we'll see later, that God used it so that there were two missions teams that went out. But Barnabas, we find during that time, came alongside John Mark, discipled him, encouraged him, continued to pour his life into him. And then later on, when Paul needs a ministry partner, he says, son John Mark, because he is profitable to me. And if you know your Bible, you can't read that without thinking, because there was a guy, the son of consolation, who didn't give up on his cousin, John Mark. And oh, by the way, did I mention 
that the Holy Spirit chose to use John Mark to give us one of four Gospels. How did that happen? A guy named Barnabas. Now, we have pastors here. We have missionaries. Uh, let, me, let me just share a, a, a pastoral note here for you. When you're looking for leadership, for a ministry, or maybe you're praying about a man that God might be calling his hands on that man uh, to become a pastor and a minister leading a church, one of the things that you need to note about that man is, can I tell he's spirit controlled because he has a generous spirit? It's right here. The apostles had already recognized this, okay? Uh, and, and the fact that he was an encourager, he came alongside to disciple, to build up. Uh, didn't quit on people. That, that was Barnabas. But then when, when folks started giving because there were these needs in the church, the door opens and in walks Joseph. Oh, Barnabas. And he's, he's got some money. And they learn he had a field, he sold it, and here's everything. It made an impact on those believers. Barnabas wasn't showing off. He didn't want to be seen. That's not who this guy was. It wasn't about that, but they noted it. The Holy Spirit noted it. It's right here. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he remembered. I think even as he partnered with Paul and was Paul's physician through all those trips, I think they, they looked back and they reflected and they remembered. And Remember Barnabas? Oh, yeah. Wow. What a challenge he was to the rest of us. And the Holy Spirit said, I want him to be the example of a unifier in the church. And so as you look for spiritual leadership uh, among the saints to, uh, that God has called uh, to, to help lead his flock, uh, these are important things to know. So God chooses unifiers who are spirit-controlled to lead his church. Men who are like the Holy Spirit. They come alongside of others and they help and encourage what is one of the chief signs that God will use a man to lead in his work and unify and, and, and help strengthen his people? Again, the man is generous with the things that God has given to him. He's not, he's not trying to show others who he is. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. But he's willing to give what God has given to him to help others. So let's conclude. The fourth chapter of Acts ends with important teaching on the fact that unity is the evident proof that a local assembly of believers is spirit-filled. Unity. Again, I thank God for this church. I thank God for our unity. I don't credit that, that we just all decided to be nice and get along. We are spirit-filled. But are we all spirit-filled? And by the way, tomorrow's a new day. Get up.
Become a living sacrifice for the Lord. Surrender yourself fully to him and be spirit controlled. Please don't go into tomorrow being self-controlled. Be spirit controlled. The unity uh, then is evidenced by great generosity. That God in turn blesses with his power on a group of people as they do his work. The extent of the unity is felt by every needy Christian whose needs are met so that they can be encouraged to continue to be a bold witness for Christ. And God shows us what a spirit-filled unifier in a church looks like through the example of Barnabas. What a testimony that man had. May our church be a testimony of this New Testament unity that we might have greater power in our witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.